0: Just Come after me! I'm a man. I'm forty.
1: Can't wait. Let's
2: go. What is up, everybody? To Tuesday night, it's time for the big three. And, I mean, there's just so much to get into on this one. It's going to be a really fun episode. I mean, it's the NFL playoffs, so depending on who you root for, might not be as much fun as for others, but, you know, we're going to have some fun with what happened over the past weekend. Daniel Berry is going on. Jory, what's up? You know, we're going to talk about some NBA stuff before we get into the NFL because, you know, the NFL is like the, the meat of the episode there's some interesting trade rumors revolving a certain team that I think we need to talk about. There was a trade that happened that when I saw it was like, why? So we definitely to talk about that. <laughs> like the NBA, I don't know. So Some teams have a direction. Other ones, you're just like, are are you, are you even trying anymore? So we'll definitely get into that. But before we do, Brett, how are you
1: doing? Oh, I can't be doing much better after a Sunday, you know, Packers blew out the Cowboys, Dame time right, follow that. I can't complain to my start to this week.
2: I mean, yeah, I see where you're coming from. It's not, not, not bad being a, a fan up in the uh, Wisconsin area right now. Uh, Jake, how are you doing?
0: man i'm doing great uh, haven't had a chance to go anywhere today we uh, they snowed pretty good down here kind of shut everything down so i've just been hunkered down made some chili watched some football all weekend it's it's been pretty great i'm excited for the show
2: okay i mean chili it's always a good time to have some chili man.
0: Man, it's my grandma's recipe and it's fantastic so i'm i'm all jazzed up i'm ready to go
2: okay right, well we're going to keep those good times rolling With our first story. DeJounte Murray. Now, look, the the Hawks, whenever I I talk about them, I usually talk about them in a negative light. And that's going to continue. Because the fact that they're trying to move DeJounte Murray, after I gave them credit for bringing him in, when I thought, okay, now there's some direction, another player, to play alongside Trey Young. Now it looks like the Hawks might be splitting them up because, well, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray just don't work well together. So the first question I have for you two will be, we'll start with Brett on this one. What are the Hawks doing in making DeJounte Murray available? Like, why are they doing this?
1: It's because this experiment hasn't worked out like they thought it would, right? And I'm not sure if uh, DeJounte is just disinterested or what's going on but he's clearly like regressed as a defender and just overall he's definitely seemed like he regressed from his time in San Antonio and I think that shows up well in the stats too if you look at the defensive rating with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray the Hawks are better with Trey Young on the court by himself on defense without DeJounte Murray so I think that we have a situation where you actually do end up having to move DeJounte because I think he almost looks disinterested. Like, he doesn't really want to be there anymore, and his engagement on defense isn't there, and this offense just doesn't suit him at all.
2: I mean, I think that that's very valid. And plus, look, he was in San Antonio where they were kind of – they are mid to below average team. He gets to Atlanta, he probably thought it was going to be, you know, greener pasture. It's kind of the same thing. They're below 500. They're like a play-in-ish type of team. So maybe he has lost some interest. I'm like, I don't think the regression defensively is who DeJounte Murray is. It's, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Looking at his measurables and everything, like he, look, he has long arms and everything. He looks like a guy. That defensively should be much better. So it could just be this the surrounding you know Hawks and, and everything that's going on with them, but you know, it, it's the Hawks, it is what it is. Uh Jake, question for you would be because Jory put in the chat that they need to move Trey. Is Trey Young a bigger issue than DeJounte Murray on this team?
0: Man, so you first of all you can't trade. Trey Young, like he's the most popular athlete in Atlanta. And if you trade him, even if it's the right move to do, unless you get a complete haul, the fans are going to riot. He's, he is entertaining to watch for the fans. He can light it up. He can be really good, but I do feel like there's kind of a a Trey Young problem in Atlanta where he's not good defensively. He needs the ball in his hands to move a lot. Don't let the assist numbers fool you. He needs the ball in his hands to be really successful and I think it just kind of bogs everything else down around the team. You could, yeah, if you trade Trey Young, you could get a huge market form way more than what you could get for DeJounte Murray. But that just signals a complete rebuild. And with you already owing two first-round picks to San Antonio, you can't count on your own team to be bad, to get value from having a bad record. Like, at this point, there's no, there's no point in them being bad because of those two picks that they gave in this DeJounte Murray trade – And I just, yeah, you probably have to move Murray. I think he's the easier piece to move. Triang has the big contract. He's way more beloved in Atlanta, but I think he's the problem. I think he's been the, the core part of what's going wrong with this team. And honestly, one of the worst things that probably happened to this team was when they made that run a few years ago in the playoffs, because it seemed like Atlanta was closer to, uh, to being a true contending team than what they actually were kind of fooled management, fooled the ownership as opposed to just a more of a slow rebuild but I, I think it's a Trey young problem 100 percent.
2: as jory put in the in the chat that some I'll say in Atlanta are starting to sour on Trey Young. I do think there's a large section of Hawks fans that kind of like you said Britt, because Trey Young's in commercials because he's an all-star guy, they feel like he's untouchable. But when you watch the Hawks play, it's obvious that Trae Young cannot be your best player if you want to be a championship team. Because when he gets to the playoffs and he faces teams like the Celtics or the Heat, teams with like bigger guards or wing players that can switch out onto him, he's minimalized. And the other issue, probably the reason why they're moving Murray, is if Murray has the ball, Trae Young is disinterested off the ball. And I think that is a big issue with the Hawks. I mean, I've seen some Hawks fans coming at Quinn Snyder saying he's not the right coach. Trust me. I don't know what coach there is for Trey Young. Nate McMillan wasn't good enough. Now Quinn Snyder isn't good enough. Like, who are you getting? You getting Phil Jackson? You want Phil Jackson from back in the day?
0: He's bringing Michael Jordan (laughs) with him. Like, how are you doing this? And the triangle is going to save Atlanta in 2024. Come on.
1: I, I think Jalen Johnson, and Trey Young sounds
2: great to me. I mean, look, Jalen Johnson is probably a saving grace because I thought he might have been a little bust potential, but he's really played well this year. So at least when you watch the Hawks, you're seeing a young guy kind of develop. My my problem would be once he's probably ready to take that next step, will Trey Young kind of get in his way? So I think if the Hawks had any guts, they'd move Trey Young, take the PR hit, like, who cares? If it leads to more wins, you'll be fine. But I, I hate to see them move Murray because I I am a DeJounte Murray fan. But, it's, you know, like you said, Brett, when you see him playing with Trey Young, it's just not a good match at all.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I no, think, it's not.
0: Oh, go ahead. Go ahead,
1: Brett. I just think they got to ask themselves, what do, you, what do you care about more? because. If you care more about selling tickets, the highlights, Trey Young's gonna get you that. You care more about winning, then you gotta move off Trey Young. He can't be your best player. And I know Hawks fans are gonna be like, Well, in uh 2021, we've seen teams plenty of times have one really hot year, they get hot at the right time, even though they're not close to contention, and then just make a random run to the Western Conference. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. And the Hawks just happen to be the team in twenty twenty one to do that. So yeah. I think they just gotta ask themselves, do you do you care more about the highlight reels or the product on the court? Because it's clear that Trey Young can't be the best guy on the championship team.
0: That's yeah. a that's a great point, Brett. I mean, it's not even like a championship team. We're talking like just contender. We're talking like a, just one step below Philadelphia kind of a team. And for all the people that might say that Quinn Snyder's not the right coach, look, I watched him for however long he was in Utah. I've been a fan my whole life. Quinn Snyder is a fantastic coach. He can get a lot out of a lot of people. The thing that he really relies on is everyone to have a lot of effort, a lot of tenacity and to hustle. And when Trey Young's not doing that and he has this next contract and he, and he probably feels like he's untouchable, like there's not a coach that can coach that out of him. There's not a coach that can get him interested because Quinn, we've all seen the mean, at least I have as a Utah jazz fan of him looking like a psychopath at, at players, either, you know, uh, half assing it or, or dogging it or refs. Like, there's so many jokes about him being like some serial killer with how intense he is. That's still there in Atlanta. Trey Young just doesn't, it doesn't translate to him for whatever reason. That's a Trey problem. It's not a DeJounte Murray problem. It's not a Quinn Snyder problem.
1: All right. This is his third coach. and he's still doing the same thing that he's doing with every coach at that point, is it really the coach? Right.
2: Like, the, the first coach, I, like, just blanked out his name really quickly, but um, I feel like he was inexperienced, so it's kind of easier to push a lot of the blame onto him. But once you get to Nate McMillan and Quinn Snyder, like, come on, Nate McMillan, yes, he he doesn't really last places really long, but he usually has a positive effect. But somehow he gets with Trey Young, and it's a train wreck. And Quinn Snyder, for most people who watch you know the games and stuff like that, would say he was a really good. Uh, coach that was available, he gets with Trey Young. Now of a sudden, Quinn Snyder can't coach. I don't know. The constant variable is Trey Young, so I, I don't get it. It is what it is, and to, I'm glad you brought this up, uh, Jake. Where you said that run where you know Trey Young kind of became popular with the ice tray at Madison Square Garden and everything like that. Remember this. A team like, I'll use my Celtics as a reference, who made it to the East Conference Finals, lost in the Game 7, went in the offseason and upgraded with Porzingis and uh, Drew Holiday. They didn't rest on their laurels. The Hawks made that run, basically came back with the same team, assuming that they were better than they were. I think that's the difference between championship-driven team
0: and a team that's just fine at the party. And that, that's what the Hawks are. And that, that's what Atlanta's been forever. I mean, all those Joe Johnson years that we had for all the you know mid-2000s, it felt like they were always a team that they're not going to be higher than the fourth seed, but they're not going to be lower than the seventh seed. They were just always going to be there. And if they're lucky, get to the second round. And it feels like that's still the same kind of thought process and ideology that the Hawks have. And another interesting thing, looking at the trade rumors, San Antonio wants DeJounte Murray back. Like That's a legitimate possibility for him to go back. The issue is the picks that they might get from Atlanta might be more valuable than DeJounte Murray because Atlanta is going to be a lottery team for the foreseeable future as long as they have Trey Young. I just found that super interesting when I was doing research on on this trade and everything. San Antonio wants him. Not a lot Mm -hmm. of teams do because Atlanta wants two first round picks back because that's what they got for. That's what they had to pay for him. And not a lot of teams are, are out there making big offers San Antonio seems to be the one that's at least from what I've seen, that's making has any kind of real interest in them.
1: And I the think it's smart on San Antonio's behalf. If you trade them for two and you could say, get them back for a protected first. Cause there's no market for them. Sell high, buy low, and then see how it works. You re- San Antonio needs to upgrade a point guard next to Wemby. and mm-hmm. somebody will actually get him the ball, rebuild this value. It'd be, and then, it'd be perfect. Right. And then, you either have your point guard or trade him again. Get even more first for him.
2: I mean, I don't want DeJounte Murray to turn into Ish Smith now.
0: Oh, come on. He's better than that. <laughs> I'll
2: just come say on, it. Man. It seems like every every time you turn around, Ish Smith's on a different team. I, he should go to the Hall of Fame just for that. The fact that he's <clears> he's basically played on like half the teams in the league. I think it's remarkable. Because I like feel like a, some guys, if they were going through that, by, like, stop eight or nine, they'd probably just call it a career because they're just like, I I can't do this.
0: I can't afford to move anymore.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Smith's embracing it. Uh, okay. Well, we'll see what happens if Murray does get moved, where he ends up going. Wait, didn't I see something like Trey Young said he, he wouldn't mind playing next to Wemby? Which... San Antonio, you do not want that because Wemby will probably just get frustrated.
0: Yeah, talk about uh, not utilizing this the big asset you have in Wemby by bringing Trey Young in. There's no way that happens. No way that happens. Uh, Yeah, Ah, those Hawks.
2: Uh, Oh, Jory put Hawks front office makes all the wrong moves. Yes, and the crazy thing is they wanted to model themselves after the Warriors. That plan clearly hasn't worked out because they don't have anything that's comparable to what the Warriors have.
0: Don't forget the Hawks also just could have drafted Luca too. I mean, yeah, they got some draft picks to move down, but they could have just <sighs> had Luca.
2: That that goes back to the whole Hawks just wanted the celebrity. Trey Young, that college season was seen as the biggest guy at Oklahoma. Everybody fell in love with the three-point shooting. Luca was the unknown at Real Madrid. I knew Atlanta was gonna do it and I knew it was gonna blow up in their face and now look at it. Yes, Luca has his kind of challenges with finding pieces of play around him, but I would take Luca over Trey every day of the week. Wouldn't you know, even think about it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the thing I think that really helps save Atlanta is that one, like Trey is a good player. He's not terrible, like he has value. Um and the other teams messed up more. Like, you look at what uh, Sacramento did with Marvin Bagley instead of Luka. That's the one that saves it from this. It, it really is. Uh, that's a good point.
2: Also, all-star voting. Why is Trey number two? Let, let's not do this. Because Trey is not the second-best guard in the East. He's not. Like, I Look, maybe Atlanta fans are just showing out more more power to them, but... I don't need Trey Young in the
0: All Star Game. Can I have like two minutes here for this like fan voting? I need. I've hated NBA fan voting ever since I knew what it was. It is <laughs> garbage. It is stupid. It is, it shows how it's just who has the most fan, like the biggest fan base. I can't remember years where Allen Iverson played like three games and he was voted in. Yao Ming plays like ten games. Oh, he leads the the league in All Star fan voting. There's so many years where it's just, oh, that's my guy, regardless of how good he is. And the fans get this piece and all-star voting that counts for a player accolades, counts for contracts, counts for Hall of Fame worthiness. And all it is is just spam. It's like, oh, just this weekend, two for the price of one. Your votes count twice as much for the next three days. It's like, what is this? This isn't like a subway kind of a deal. These are Hall of Fame and contract big things that they're just marketing. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Get rid of the fan voting because we get garbage. Like Trey Young being number two is probably like the eighth worst fan voting experience I've seen. And it's terrible that it's this way. But there's been way worse ones in the past. And mm-hmm. they just need to get rid of it. I, I can't stand it.
1: Oh, I, I agree with that. You got guys like Zaza Pachulia getting almost voted <laughs> the Why they had to change fan voting in the first place. Any iteration of post, post Achilles injury Kobe shouldn't have gotten in like there's just so many iteration of undeserving guys getting in, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, it's just a popularity contest with fan voting.
2: I mean, I you can obviously keep the fan voting in it because fans just like to feel involved, but you can't have them to sign the starters. That's one. Nope. I well, I wouldn't want them to sign the reserves either. So if you want to have them part of it, you have to give them like a percentage. Like if they're ten percent of the starter vote and then the other is like coaches or whatever. I, I don't know how they fix what this issue is, but because now this season is some days your vote counts for three times, which that's wild, <laughs> even even more than just the two times, two for one. So I, I don't know what the league does.
0: <sighs> Again, it's, the
2: all, it's the all-star game. So most people aren't going to lose sleep over it. But for me, it's just.
0: It bothers Hawk, me, you have to.
2: Yeah, Hawks feels there, a There's, the, there's the bots an too. It's like he's not. Yep,
0: you got to worry about bots on the Twitter thing, and it's just it makes it disingenuous. Whereas other sports have their All Star Pro Bowl, whatever voting, and it feels more legitimate. It feels more right. This one, it's just you look at these guys, and you're like, how? Like, like Brett makes a great point. Kobe Bryant, that after that Achilles injury where he hardly played, it's like why? I love Kobe. Of course, he's gonna be an All Star if he plays, but he hasn't played. Why is he? The number one vote getter just doesn't make any sense.
2: That's the NBA, it's fantastic.
1: Just gotta love it. I didn't
2: even realize three times
1: they count the one vote as three. They
2: do that now, yeah. They do that, it's like every so often. I think the the last time did it was probably this past weekend, and then before that was like two weeks before that. It's like you just, I don't know, it's just like random days they'll be like. Your vote counts three times today.
1: Let's get Al Horford into the All-Star game. Let's make it happen.
2: (laughs) I've been saying, bald Derek White. Got to make it happen. Uh, Let's see. Joker should be over LeBron. You know, look, LeBron's going to get there no matter what. LeBron could be 65 and they'll vote him in. So that's not really a fight worth having. All right, let's get to the next one. A trade went down. It's, it's not going to change much of anything in the East, so don't worry about that. But, uh, okay. Can I, let me be serious for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the Pistons, I, I mean, I, I saw this, and I was just like, two franchises that have no idea what they're doing anymore. So the Pistons are getting Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. Okay. The Wizards get Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Livers, and two second round picks. Great. I feel like the, the biggest thing that'll probably come from this is probably who ends up getting bought out or something. I guess that's all to look forward to. But looking at this trade, who, who wins this, if anybody?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's no winner. Like, I saw this when it was breaking on my phone, it came up, and I was like, why is this breaking news? Like, these are the two worst, I'm pretty sure these teams have the two worst records in the NBA. If not, they're in the Eastern Conference, two worst teams. They're going nowhere. At least Washington finally is deciding to fully tank and go full, just let Jordan Poole get a million shots in so they can lose. As far as who wins, I mean, I guess the, the Pistons kind of win because they get two shooters. They, they need shooting. Mike Muscala, he can't really defend, but like, He's a good shooter. You grab him in 2K and it's like, oh, I'll get you in the three in the corner. You can make some threes. We know Gallinari's a good three-point shooter, so I get that. There's some salary calf uh, relief for Washington that kind of helps. But at this point, it's like you're, both teams are bad. You don't know what you're doing. But if I have to pick a winner, give me Detroit because they got a little bit better at the thing that they're historically bad at.
1: Okay. All right. Whew. actually, this trade makes me really happy as an avid Pistons uh, user on Two K. But uh, in all uh, seriousness, I'm gonna pick Detroit from this one for the sole reason of now Monty Williams can't try to play all five bigs at the same time, and they get more. <laughs> like I'm looking at when you look at the minutes breakdown for the Pistons, it was like Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Livers, James Wiseman, Jalen Duran. Like all four of those guys don't need 15 plus minutes a game. Like, what are you doing? And now there's not enough shooting for a Sewer Thompson, the most impactful guy out of the group to be on the court. So, I think with this, you actually now have lineup configurations where you can get a sewer on the court. So, I do think that this trade will end up helping the Pistons in the long run. But shout out to the Wizards for getting two second rounders.
2: And second rounders have become like the the new. Hot commodity in trades. Look, I, I feel like Gallinari probably doesn't stick around for long in Detroit. Uh Muscala, maybe. But Gallinari, because I've already seen it, you know, Celtics fans are already like, do you bring Gallinari back? I mean, he can shoot the three. If there's one thing the man can do, is he can shoot it from, from three. And a lot of teams would love to have that. I mean, imagine being one of the Pistons players, though. It's like, hey, you're getting traded. Just probably like, all right, like, where am I going? I'm going to Washington. It's like, what? I'd rather stay here and lose than go to Washington and probably deal with Jordan Poole and his craziness. Like, I feel bad for Bagley and Livers just for that.
0: For real. Bro, not to mention Washington's got like this unannounced rumor that they're moving down to Virginia. Like, I live in the DMV, and like it came out and my wife's like, hey, did you hear that Washington the wizards are moving? I'm like, no, they're not. I haven't heard anything about this. Like that's how little interest there is in the wizards in this area. Uh, one thing to note though, as far as Gallinari, the only reason I think they might keep him is you have to look at what they've done with Bogdanovich. Like he was a huge trade asset last year, this time mm-hmm. last year. We, and he's a good player. I loved him in Utah. Like if they're going to hold on to Bogdanovich, what's to say they're just not going to hold on to Gallinari because it's the same kind of guy that could shoot threes and space the floor. They should trade both guys and just fully tank and get some value. But. I wouldn't be surprised if they stepped, if they kept Gallinari on the roster.
1: And with Gallinari keeping him around, that's a good veteran presence for a young locker room. So I'd consider keeping him around just for that. I don't know if there's going to be a huge market coming off an injury. And Gallinari can hit a three, but he can hardly move on defense. So you can have don't him, don't you get to they the board, play defense in the Detroit. <laughs>
2: you have four other guys to do all the moving. Gallinari just has to be a statue. At the three-point line, I pass it to you, you knock it
0: down, great value right there.
1: Yeah, that's why I think you should just stay in Detroit.
0: (laughs) You know, maybe this has to do with some weird like Detroit thing. I've seen theories of like fans I know that are fans of Detroit where they're like, look, the Pistons are this bad for a reason. It's so that the universe can let the Lions continue to win. So maybe they're doing these bad trades. They're going to play poorly until after the Super Bowl where the Lions maybe they the universe just gives it to him because Detroit's so bad. There, there could be something along that, some weird karma thing going on between the NBA and NFL.
2: I mean, if that's the case, then Lions fans should be like, why didn't the Pistons start this earlier? Because at least the Lions <laughs> had some hope. What have, the, what have the Pistons been doing all these years? Nothing. Nothing. It's so bad. So I, th- I think we'll end this segment with this. Free Tyus Jones. Get him out of Washington. I don't even care where he goes. Get him out of that situation. He could be a great backup point on a you know contending team. Why waste your time in Washington? Yeah, so best jury,
0: backup point guard
2: in the league. Yeah, free Tyus Jones. Uh, let's see. Anthony said everybody on here could play for the Pistons and win. I would do it for less than Killian Hayes. I could take Killian Hayes minutes for. Fractions of what they're paying
0: him. Give me the vet minimum. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: the Lions would have been better a long time ago then. True.
0: <laughs> Very true.
2: Uh, make the call, Genie. Uh, well, this is not the show to improve the Lakers, but I get what you're saying. Uh, free Jones. Free the whole Washington. Okay. And I'd rather have Tyus than goofball Russell. Hey, isn't Russell starting point guard again? I probably should have put a slide for that. Lakers fans would probably go off on that, but I wasn't thinking about that.
1: He had a 40-piece almost. He had 39. They they lost by like 12, but.
2: Yeah, and then the next two weeks, he'll probably score six or eight. That's D'Angelo Russell. Next up, the Grizzlies. I mean, are, are, are they not the most snake-bitten team this year? You play the first 25 games without John Moran. He comes back, looks great, gets hurt in practice, out for the year. Desmond Bain, who, you know, when John Moran wasn't around last season or whatever, really stepped up the playoffs, he became kind of – he kind of hit that different level. He's now out six weeks. Marcus Smart, who played with every injury under the sun in Boston – gets to Memphis can't even see the court. He's out for six weeks. Like, what what's going on in the water in in Memphis? Like, is this John Morant's fault? Is this Instagram live punishing the Grizzlies? Because John Morant made that app look like it was, I don't know what I'm saying, but what do we make of this Memphis situation? Like what, what, what do we, what is this?
1: Do Do you feel bad
2: for Memphis? I mean, Jory doesn't. She's a Lakers fan. Why was that, she? But you
1: know. that, that was a phenomenal rant, Kyle. You sounded like somebody. Ah, ah. all them video games. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, like,
2: uh, I mean, look, Marcus Smart, I loved him in Boston. They traded him. A lot of people didn't like it. I understood the move. I wanted him to do well in Memphis. But – you know, he's seemingly going to go through a injury-riddled season. You know, Desmond Bain, a lot of Celtics fans were mad that the Celtics passed on him for Aaron Neesmith, who's no longer in Boston. So, you know, obviously that was not the right decision. And it seemed like he was really coming into his own, and now he's gone. And then John Morant looked like he might have led the Grizzlies back from that terrible start to a play-in situation. And now their season... If it wasn't like done before, it's definitely dead now.
0: Uh, Let's see. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you get caught up on the chat.
2: Uh, Memphis, who cares who's next to get injured? Okay. Uh, I feel bad for the players, not the team. I feel bad for them. Not. That was going on, Marlon.
0: Yeah, what do we
2: make of this grizzly situation?
0: This is bad. I mean, the thing that's terrible with this is I remember a couple years ago in the playoffs, the Jazz were the one seed, they were playing Memphis in the first round, went five games. And I'm watching Memphis through these five games, I'm like, man, like Memphis has got it figured out. That was my thought process. I've said this a couple of times, I said this last year on the pod when Jaw was going through all of his stuff. I said, Memphis just feels like this team that's it all figured out, they got the right player out of their draft in Jaw. They have all these good players. They're almost too deep where they have to kind of move on from players. And from that point to here, it's just like everything that could have gone wrong. It's just gone wrong. John Morant went off the rails. He had his issues. Then he gets hurt. Desmond Bain. We have his, yeah, everyone's hurt. Nothing seems to be going right. They just can't catch a break. So I'd say they're stake bitten. It's a, it's a shame because I feel like Memphis has a really good fan base. They were starting to turn things around and become really exciting. Like as much as, I liked watching the old grit and grind Grizzlies. It's not everyone's taste. It wasn't Mm. exactly the most entertaining basketball. So they were very, everyone wanted to watch him. Ja was like the most popular young, uh, most popular NBA athlete among young people. And it just feels like it's all completely gone. This season is completely wasted. There's no way they can come back from it. And yeah, the whole Dylan Brooks thing definitely made people not want to root for Memphis. Like that was the easiest way to be between him and Jaw, They became villains almost overnight and it's just never recovered.
2: So do you see them as a little more sympathetic now? Because Dylan Brooks isn't there anymore. And yeah, Jaw had his stuff, but at least when he came back, he looked like the the player from before the heel turn that he had. So are you, do you still see, see them as unlikable or because Dylan Brooks isn't there, you can kind of root for them again? Because Dylan Brooks definitely made it hard to, to root for Memphis. He, he
0: did. He did. I, I I feel bad for him. I feel bad for the fans. And there's a lot of good players on there that, that it's just really hard. Like You want to see them do well. I want to see uh, Moran – not just be a good player on the court, but also off the court. So there's definitely some sympathy on my end.
1: I think that this could almost end up being a blessing in disguise for Memphis. Okay. Because this team is still missing a piece, and now they're going to get a lottery pick to potentially add that piece. They need a center. Steven Adams went down. This team hasn't really looked the same since that. Expect jaw Hurt, but Steven Adams does make a bigger difference, and a lot of people notice. They need a real center to play next to Jaron Jackson. So they're going to get a lottery pick, and now they can either, A, draft a blue-chip prospect at center, or trade for a center, or just a big, somebody who can grab boards, something that Jackson can't do. So I think that this injury hurts, and it's unfortunate for the Grizz, but I think in the long run, this is going to end up being a blessing in disguise for them.
2: Well, I mean, that's that's definitely a uh, good way to look at because I do agree. The The one issue I've, I've always had with Memphis, there was two. It was Joss' perimeter game, which it kind of seemed like when he came back, he was hitting threes all of a sudden. And their low post, because, yes, Jaron Jackson's been in the defensive player of the year conversation, but he's not that guy. Yeah you needed someone. That's why Steven Adams is so important because Adams is that physical presence, but now he's been hurt the past couple of seasons. They 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 need somebody else. I don't know who, but go get Bismarck Biambo. You can probably get him for twenty dollars, you know. All he knows how to do is rebound because he can't do anything else. That's yeah, what they that's need. True. They just need a guy like that. But
0: can we also just of- say real quick how shocking yeah. it is that Steve, for me, whenever I look at how old Steven Adams is, because I feel like he's been in the league since like 2005, The mm-hmm. dude's only 30 years old, but it feels like he should be like 35 or 36. Like he's, that's I just a, looked up, he's legitimately 30 years old. Blows my mind every time I think about it. Yeah, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Jory. No, folks don't be feeling bad for my Lakers. <laughs> are injured, so I don't feel bad that the Grizzlies have injuries. I mean, yes, that's true, I guess. But, you know, that's different. Lakers are historic. What's Memphis' history, you know? Now, the Grint and Grind Grizzlies, because Jake said it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, I liked watching them. Like, who didn't love seeing Tony Allen? I mean, he did have Celtics ties, but, like, Tony Allen, uh Zach Randolph, who... Look, I, I never understood how Randolph put up the numbers he, he did. Never jumps, wasn't quick. And he just was like a 30 20 guy. It's well, like a 2015 type of guy, night in and night out. And you just look at the box score and be like, how's this guy doing it?
0: How does he get rebounds when he can't jump over a soda can? Yeah. Well, he was just really, he was just really talented.
2: I think he's a guy who's kind of undervalued. Oh, for the sure. The more we kind of distance from his playing day. Uh, let's see. He's stressed out. That's why he looks so old. <laughs> He's
0: having to babysit all these, these players on the Grizzlies. That stressed me out, too. Yeah. And also to
2: mention, the Brandon Clark uh, absence is, is, has been big as well for the Grizzlies. Sure. Alright, so uh, that's all I have for the NBA. So before we get into the NFL, have a quick word from the network. Hey guys, it's Pavel Cat And Evan Runners. And we are Two Guys in Hockey Talk. We are here every Wednesday night at
1: 7 p.m. Mountain
2: Standard Time to talk all things hockey. What are we talking about, Evan?
1: We talk KHL, AHL, ETHL. Every HL Hockey League you can think about. Prospects, juniors, even the Professional Women's Hockey League. Yeah, we love it. And we have a
2: website, Two Guys in Hockey Talk. So give us a follow. we got articles on all things related to hockey. And we're writing all throughout the season. So make sure you're tuning in. We're also on X or. Twitter uh, you can find me at hockey underscore two and
1: you can follow me at Revan M or you can also go to two
0: guys and hockey com to follow everything
1: we love hearing from you guys so make sure you tune in comment like give us a follow on our Facebook and YouTube page
2: we love hearing from your guys and it's a blast talking all things hockey right on
1: hey man it is so as we say every show in the meantime and in between time,
2: keep your sticks on the ice. Cheers. Cheers. All right, the guys from Two Guys in Hockey Talk, you catch that show tomorrow night uh, right here on the network. It's great if you want to get into hockey. If you're a big hockey fan, they, they got you covered. All right, we've got to start off the NFL talk with my guy, Bill. i just got to get a little emotional. Still hurts that he's gone. But, Need some um, tissues, man. Nah, I'm good. Uh, it, was, it was 24 years. Look, yeah. Hope he, hope he gets the Shuler record. I all want the best for Bill. But we found out a potential landing spot for him because there was news about him interviewing for the, Haw- I mean not the Hawks, geez, for the Falcons job. And there's some mutual interest between he, Arthur Blank. Like why? First question. Because when you thought Belichick leaving New England, you thought he'd probably chase maybe one of the glamour jobs, the the jobs that had a quarterback already established, talent, the ownership, and everything like that. When you think about that, the Falcons don't necessarily come to mind. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm keeping it together, Syjen. I'm keeping it together. Uh, so. How do you? How would you like the potential fit of Belichick in Atlanta? We'll start with Jake.
0: Man, I I hate it. And th- that's me as a Saints fan. Like I don't <laughs> want Belichick anywhere near Atlanta. Can we get stop having like Brady Kim's to NFC South? I don't want Belichick to come to the NFC South. Just like stay away. Just let this division just mature and grow on its own without these goats coming down when they're you know on their last leg. Uh, I don't. I don't see it. It, it. Like you said, it's not a glamour franchise. And this is me speaking more as just an you know sports fan, not just a Saints fan. The Falcons aren't a glamorous franchise. They haven't been relevant since that one Super Bowl appearance that they had a few years ago. And they don't have a quarterback situation. And I feel like Bill Belichick definitely needs a quarterback that's not only good, but also mature and ready. He hasn't really proven to me to be a guy that can really mold and grow a quarterback we like mac jones was not the guy he got worse every year so you need a quarterback that's ready that can go that can pick up and take it uh the one good thing for bill belichick is in his interview if they ask him you know the classic question you know when have you ever faced adversity in your life i mean he can just sit there and go 28 to 3 and and have the perfect answer like uh, he faced the most adversity and and can rub it right in the falcons face that's that's about it. But but I don't I don't see it really going Anthony saying they getting Jaden Daniel. And that would work. But I think Bill needs a good veteran quarterback. I think he Anthony, needs someone that he needs Anthony's to calm down
2: with that because Jaden Daniels is the next quarterback for the Patriots. <laughs> so calm down with that. Falcons get none no, of no, that. No. But Jaden no, Daniels like, is already is already going to New England. I'm already calling that.
0: I can, and I can see it. that happening too. No, I, I could see that happen. I could see all the three quarterbacks going, you know, one, two, and three. If he goes there, it'd be great. The owner that's there is not going to get in Bill's way. He's a, he's a good owner little, and he's loyal. And so there's going to be that kind of way where he's not going to be meant, you know, uh, kind of diving into everything like Jerry Jones, where you hear Bell Bell check to the Cowboys. So I could see the ownership working, but the Falcons just feels like why? There's so many other franchises that are in better position, for Belichick to get to Don Chula's record. Because that's why he's hanging around. He wants that record. He wants to have the most wins. And I guess the big thing going is maybe the NFC South, you get six easy games a year. That that that's about it. But no, I don't I don't see it being a good fit.
2: All right. Oh, before you go, Brett, uh, Anthony did put that Arthur will give Bill full control. From all that I've seen, they're keeping their GM Fontenot. So Bill would only be coaching. I mean, I guess he would have some input in terms of what the GM does, but uh, just wanted to say that. But, uh, Brett, how how would you like the potential fit?
1: I think in terms of Bill having full control, that should be a no-go. I think he should have input on the defensive end because he's shown that he can still draft defensive talent. Just him drafting offensive players, it seemed like that has passed him by a long time ago. In terms of him to the Falcons, I think it's great. We can talk about him not having a quarterback, but this is a perfect situation because you have Justin Fields is probably going to be available. Don't like him, all right? Russell Wilson's going to be available. Maybe they stick with Justin Fields, and you can try to swing a trade for the number one overall pick. I doubt it happens, but this is an offseason where there are really good quarterback options available, and you could, like, let's say, trade for Justin for um russell wilson and then draft uh, somebody to learn under him so i think this is a really good situation for him too because he already has talent on the offensive side of the ball there's talent on the defensive side of the ball they just got to get themselves a quarterback and really get this team ready to go because with the right coach to be duo this team could win the south as soon as next year
2: i think that's probably part of the appeal i also think because of the situation in New England where it seemed like could never get the quarterback position right, if he were to go to Atlanta where the quarterback position's a mess and somehow figure that out, he could kind of throw it in, in the media's face that he knows how to find quarterback talent. It's just the guy he tabbed in New England just happened to be the wrong guy. That plus, you know, why not follow Brady to the same division that he went to go to a lesser team and have as much success might be a little bit of a one up on Brady. I look, I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of bill Belichick. You know, he's, he's very, I guess, reserved in terms of what the public sees about him as opposed to the private uh, bill Belichick where he's, you know, funny and all this kind of stuff. I think it'd be interesting because like you said, Jake, you know, with the NFC South, he'd probably become, like, the biggest name within the division, and he's not even a player. But that kind of makes the Falcons, like, almost must watch just to see what Bill can do with that defense, which I think has potential uh, if they put one. Players say at all the time, Bill in the locker room has a sense of humor. He just never shows it outside of that setting. But... um. I think it's because the division is winnable that it wouldn't be that much of a, a like wild turnaround to make with the Falcons. Because you got to figure Belichick's not going to be coaching for the next 10 years. So in Atlanta, he can get in. If he gets a quarterback, like I said, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, Justin Fields, Falcons probably go from 6-7 wins, I don't know, 9-10 maybe? Not, it's not; they're not that far off. Much like most of the other teams outside the Panthers, I guess, in that division. As long as Bill doesn't cost <laughs> additional, I mean, doesn't take much to to add traffic to this city. Good point, though. Uh, and, let's see. Qu- yeah, I think uh, I caught qu- up on the comments. Go ahead.
1: I was saying, let's not forget the biggest factor for the Falcons. Bill might actually use some of those first round picks. Bijan. Kyle Pitts and Drake London would be doing backflips.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Oh, well, especially with the running game. You know, Bill loves a good running game. So, uh, Bijan, Algier, they'll all get used because Bill likes spreading it around as well. So, yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting. I don't think he ends up in Atlanta. But then it, when I look at Belichick, I just, last thing before we move on, where do you see Belichick coaching? next year? Or do you think he takes the year off and waits for the next round of coaching hires?
0: I don't think he takes the year off simply because of his age. He's got, mm-hmm. I don't know how old he is, but you figure five I, years. It's the max. I think he's, he's gonna
2: 70. It's like 71, 72.
0: That area. So you figure five years is probably the max three year kind of three to five year windows where he goes. I think, and a lot of people have been kind of saying this, so don't take too much credit. I think it makes a ton of sense for him to go to Philadelphia. That okay. defense is a mess. What can Bill Belichick do? Regardless of how the offense performs, regardless of the drafting, Bill Belichick still knows how to coach defense. We saw with the Patriots, he had a great defense, even though their two best defensive players were out. And what is he really good at? Linebackers and secondary. Like that's kind of his big deal there. And what mm-hmm. is Philadelphia really bad at? The Linebacker and the secondary. I felt he could go there. There's a kind of a culture in place. He can help go there. He has a good quarterback in Jalen Hurts who's ready to win. Who Bill Belichick, I think I think they would work really well together. Just for everything I've got from Jalen Hurts as far as the person that he is, the leadership that he has, it, it's a really good fit. The Eagles are on a win-now mode with the talent that they have. They don't have the time for a rebuild. And I just think Philly makes way too much sense. Uh, I, I think Nick Sirian, we're going to talk about the Eagles more, I'm sure. But if, if I'm feeling I have a chance to get a guy like Belichick, I'm firing the, the coaching staff and bringing him in because that makes that fixes your big problem on defense and makes you a, an immediate contender in the NFC, whereas this year they just fell off the face of the earth.
2: So according and Jake, uh, Eagles fans get ready for Bill, Josh McDaniels, and I don't know who Bill's de- – oh, his son as defensive coordinator. There you go. My, you might send Gene on another hour rant. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Brett, uh, Brett where, where do you see Belichick next season?
1: When, uh, when I first thought about where Bill Belichick goes, my first thought was if he wants a set quarterback, I like the Eagles fit. I think that's a great fit, but on the off chance that job isn't available, the first thought I spot was the Chargers. You already have your franchise quarterback. That defense does need a lot of help, especially in the run game, but there's pieces there that you can work with. So I do like the Falcons fit, but uh, I'm going to guess he ends up in with the Chargers, and I think the added bonus is he gets to actually be somewhere warm for most of the year.
0: Okay. (laughs) Much different than his last game in New England, where it just looked absolutely miserable (laughs) the entire time.
2: Yeah. A couple of interesting destinations from the chat. Uh, Because somebody brought up the Cowboys. Look, for Bill to go from Robert Kraft to Jerry Jones, wow. Talk about extremes, so I don't see that one. Anthony brought up the Seahawks. Imagine Belichick following Pete Carroll at a second place because Carroll was the coach (laughs) in New England for what two, three seasons, then they went to Bill. If he now replaces Pete Carroll in Seattle – that would be uh, incredible. So for me, I always thought that uh, Bill would end up probably in a place like Washington. He just seems like the, a guy who would fit in Washington. You know, they're not too far from a lot of military stuff. Bill is, you know, big into the military. You know, they just came off of Ron Rivera. Obviously, I'm, I'm thinking the enemy should get that job, but we know how that might go. But you come off of, a, of Ron Rivera, you go to Bill Belichick, you get another guy who's a great leader, great face for your franchise. Just that Belichick brings a little bit more success than Rivera does. So that's the job I saw. Cause I assume with the charges it's probably Harbaugh or I feel like it's kind of Harbaugh or, or bust right now. And I, I, I just don't know about Bill out there. i feel like, bill would enjoy being in that weather too much he'd hate it like he he needs to have some reason <laughs> to be a little bit miserable
0: he needs so, something to keep him inside to do film studying everything if it's nice outside it'll distract him from all the yeah. film studies he does yeah i can see what,
2: that what I do you do with that. all those hoodies with the cut off sleeves i mean come on <laughs> it just it just would look weird in la so there i would we- say why that'd be my guess
1: Okay. Their X-Factor, he does
2: have a Husky, and they do like the cold weather, so. That's true. We, that Husky made waves during that COVID draft. Became a celebrity. All right. So now we go from off the field to what happened on the field. We had Super Wild Card weekend. You know, we normally do our overreactions, but I think for this, since the, the – pool of teams is kind of limited we're just going to do our biggest takeaway from Wildcard weekend and we'll start with you jake
0: okay man there's a lot to uh unpack here as far as takeaways from super wild Card weekend the first one i'm going to say and i want to start positive here because it was a great week of football mm-hmm. cj stroud's top 10 quarterback like, you can't tell me that he's not a top 10 quarterback. He was fantastic. He's been fantastic all year. Goes up against the number one defense. If you average out all the, the uh, metrics and everything and mm-hmm. blows him out. Like, I know the defense helped him out. Joe Flacco had some turnovers, but it just looked like the moment wasn't too big. It looked like he just took command of it. And he's he's the guy. And I'm super happy for him. Uh, I was a big fan of him coming out of the draft. Thought he should have gone number one. And for me, it's he's top ten quarterback. He's awesome.
2: Okay. I mean, that's, that's
0: I mean, that's definitely a
2: takeaway from the weekend. Like he went up against the number one defense in Cleveland and looked about as comfortable as possible. Even in the face of some blitzes, he stood in the pocket, took tough hits, and still made plays down the field. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. I think C.J. Stroud going into next season Top 10. is definitely putting a lot of teams on notice. And the, the future is definitely bright down in Houston. All right, Brett, I, I feel like we probably know where your biggest <laughs> takeaway might be going. But go ahead.
1: I'll do uh, my uh, kind of non-Homer one with this one, actually. The... The moment is too big for Dak Prescott, and I think they need to be careful about giving him a new contract. Now, I think you can do a lot worse than Dak Prescott, but it just seems like every time in a big game he falters, and he did it again in, like, incredible fashion against the Packers. Like, you have five drives in the first half. You throw an interception, a pick six. There should have been a third interception on the touchdown drive. Campbell just dropped it. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you take a sack that knocks you out of a possible field goal attempt. And it was a really awkward and ugly sack, too.
0: He took the sack. He made the sack happen, more or less. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I just think that one of my biggest takeaways is that maybe that they really, they got to be careful with this next contract because it looks like the moment does get too big for Dak Prescott. And you, you can't pay a, you can't pay a, a middle-of-the-road guy, superstar money, and expect great results.
2: Kind of sounds like you're making Dak Prescott out to be the NFL's version of Trey Young. See? That's how I worked her all the way back there around. There we go. Uh, there we go. Side just no, saying congrats I... on the dub. Don't forget Parsons and Lamb will both be looking to get paid, and you can't pay everybody. Absolutely.
0: That, I, I was going to bring that up. Like, if Dak, I think his contract is going to be like sixty million a year range. If that's what his max could be, Parsons and and CD, you got to pay. They're both fantastic players. You can't have three of those guys taking up like what like a hundred million of your salary cap. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, Dak looked completely lost. The deer in the headlights is almost too accurate. Where you saw his eyes, and it just looked like he panicked. And, and the sad thing is, I'm I'm watching the game. It's 20 to nothing. The game should be over and I'm thinking in my head, okay, Dallas has a great offense. If they can just score a touchdown here, get the ball back after halftime, score again, all of a sudden it's 20 to 14. They they can do this. They're not out of it yet. And then he throws that pick six. The the moment I saw Dak just start to bring the ball back to throw, I knew where he was going. If I know yeah. where he's going before he throws it, sure the safety's going to know. It was one of the worst pick sixes you've ever seen. It was like a a Brett Favre kind of level of pick six where you just see it happening and you just want to tell him no. And it it blew the game. And the thing that I hate is that the Dak fans that are out there going to say, look at his stats, but they're all empty calorie stats. That game was completely over when it was like 34 to 10, or I don't know what the score was, but something along those lines game was over and he was just stat padding. The game was completely over and you can't pay him because he's not that guy. No matter what he does in the future, we can't view him as the guy until he actually gets to an NFC championship game because it was embarrassing.
1: All right.
2: Uh, Anthony asked, do we blame Dak or the Cowboys defense? Both. I would blame the overblown expectations for this group. The Cowboys are what the Cowboys are. They're, they're a team that will look really good in the regular season because, you know, with your schedule, you're playing – some teams that just aren't good so that they beat up on those teams like they did this year. When the competition goes up a level, they struggle. What do you most likely see in the playoffs? Good teams. Hmm. Wonder why they haven't done anything in the playoffs because they're just not that good. And like Jory said, it's the whole organization from Jerry Jones. And look, Jerry Jones is so desperate to, to have a winner in Dallas. He gets too involved. Then, it's the coaches he he selects. You know, they had Jason Garrett who was there way too long. Mike McCarthy looks like he, he might get kicked out the door even though I don't even know if I could say Mike McCarthy is the biggest problem in Dallas, but I get it. And the def- then it's the big name players that they have. So everybody's like, "Oh, this has to be a great team." It's not. Defensively, with the, the guys they have on defense, they should not have looked as porous as they did against Green Bay. And that's not even a knock on Green Bay. Cause I like some of the pieces that Green Bay has, but you can't have Micah Parsons who all year we're being told, like he's the next coming of Lawrence Taylor. Yet a defense that he's the leader of is given a 40 plus to Jordan Love, who we were told was a bust. So like. What are we doing here? And I get it. They're America's team. That's how they get all this attention. If they're America's team, there's something wrong with America because they haven't been relevant since 96. So let's stop with the America's team moniker. And Jerry, come down off your high horse. Step away and put people in positions to actually run the team. Maybe things will change. I don't know.
0: So It's bad. Go ahead, Brent.
1: It's it's both it. So I can't remember if it was in September, October, but in that time span, Dan Orvaloski pointed out that the Cowboys defense struggles if you go under center and motion Mm -hmm. mix it in with some deep play action. It really confuses the entire defense. This is something that's seen early in the season. That's just something that Dan's pointing out that early. I think part of it's on the coaches for not seeing some of these issues that we saw rear its head that guys like Dan were seeing, and it's true. You see Packers on motion. The defense wouldn't know what to do. Play action, they'd completely freeze, allowing the tight ends and everybody to get behind the linebackers. And now they've officially forced you to choose. Do you go cover the deep crosser? Or do you cover the guy in the, in the flats? I think that that's where the Cowboys coaching staff failed because – you knew that the Packers were going to do that. They're going to go under center. They're going to motion. They're going to try to confuse your defense. And it looked like you didn't prepare for it at all. It looked like you just found out 10 minutes before game time who you were playing. On the flip side, yeah, this is all on. This is on the players, too. Dak missed a lot of easy throws. He had a terrible half. At the same time, they lost a lot of steam when C.D. Lamb dropped what should have been a first down, forcing a punt next And then things kind of went shortly off after that. So the players didn't play well, but the coaches didn't prepare them either. So this is just completely on everybody.
0: No, it's a complete and total failure from like every level in the organization. And I know we got other things to do. I just want to say, Dan Quinn, if I'm an owner, he should have cost himself a job. Like he's going to be lucky to keep his job. Job as defensive coordinator. Everyone's want him to has him penciled in to go to Seattle. If I'm Seattle, yeah. I want nothing to do with him. After that showing and what we saw in Atlanta before, I don't want him coaching my defense. Being the the head coach, it's a defensive guru that can't stop the run. That you get if you get confused by motion. Do I want him to bring in Seattle where he's going to go face Kyle Shanahan twice a year, like and Sean McVay twice a year? That's not going to work. It's going to be it's going to be awful. And I just. I think he cost himself a head coaching position because I wouldn't hire him.
2: I mean that's a good point because I was going to kind of touch on that that if this was the last we'd seen of uh, Dan Quinn in Dallas as defensive coordinator before getting a head coaching job, like this is not a good showing. Nope. So I, he'll probably still get some job because of you know the regular season the defense had and everything like that, but. You just kind of need a—I don't know if it's a philosophy change or something. Because even like the guys in the secondary, they have like a lot of guys who take a lot of chances, get interceptions, but you can beat them over the top. And I I don't know. But then again, I'm not in the business of fixing Dallas because the more misery they have, kind of the happier I am because they're they're still holding on to the '90s like it's retro Thursday or something. Like you got to move on get into the new millennium or something like that but i don't know it's actually kind of crazy to think that every nfc east team could have major changes within the structure like washington already moved on from rivera there's talk about Sirianni in philly you got mccarthy
0: and now brian Dayball is the survivor of the nfc now you have
2: all this stuff with dayball being like some difficult guy to play for and all of a sudden it's just like, what is going on in the NFC East all of a sudden?
1: One one more thing I want to say about Dallas before we move on is something that I kind of noticed from that game and just overall, Tony Pollard's not a lead back. They need to get a running back to spell him. He is just a strict third down big playback, but they need somebody who can go one to two yards and get those tough yards. But I think it's clear that Pollard's not that guy. Crazy thing is,
2: kind of knew that before except dallas didn't know that don't know how they didn't figure that out uh jerry jones vince mcmahon hack prescott is his brock Lesnar. if you know you know uh yes yeah we we know a lot no remnants from the pete era at all uh i know who better not uh yeah we know what you're talking about it's not a good culture yeah and also, I mean, before we get okay. to Kyle's
0: thing, congrats mm-hmm. to the Packers. We Absolutely. you know, we heard ad nauseum that they're the youngest team in the playoffs since the 70s and all the comparisons, Aaron Rodgers. But for real, like, they look fantastic. They played great. Congrats to, to you, Brett, for your team doing so great. Congrats. I know everyone's talking about the Cowboys because that's an easier topic to do. Mm-hmm. But for real, Packers were awesome, and they deserved that win.
2: Yeah. And stop the comparisons. Don't give me a reason to not like Jordan Love, Okay. I don't like Aaron Rodgers. Stop Stop the comparisons. All right, so my biggest takeaway. Baker Mayfield, I tried to tell you guys that Baker was going to give whoever lost the NFC East problems in, uh, during wildcard weekend. Just having to be the Eagles. I feel like, you know, when you watch Baker Mayfield play, the players that are on the field with him love him. They feed off his energy. You don't you never have to worry about Baker Mayfield's effort. He is going to give you everything he has. Now, sometimes that doesn't translate into great quarterback play, but I feel like with a guy like that, you know, players in the locker room will better back him up than necessarily a guy who you know has terrible mechanics, has a terrible attitude. That can split a locker room. Baker Mayfield is a guy who will bring a locker room together. And look, some people will count out the Bucks this week. I wouldn't be so fast to do that because of how the, and look, Mike Evans got to start catching some of these deep balls because if he had caught a couple, I mean, the Eagles would probably be, I don't know what today would even look like just going off of how it ended up, but I, I'm impressed by Baker Mayfield. I feel like, you know, he's, he should have locked up comeback player of the year. He probably won't, but Baker's got he's got to stay I don't know his contract situation is but Tampa
0: lock him up oh lock him up easy he earned himself a starting position like there's no way they're not gonna be positioned to draft anybody and and there's no one that they can bring in there's a lot of quarterbacks available he's the perfect fit for what they need in Tampa Bay they have a ton of talent and I'm I'm happy for him like I don't like the Buccaneers but I am happy for Baker because I feel like he got a raw deal in, in Cleveland with how they just said oh you played hurt and played poorly, so we're gonna just say that you you suck. It it just wasn't fair, wasn't right. Um, so I'm happy for him for sure. All right, question.
2: Uh, looking at, I just mentioned the the NFC Eastern coaches. So looking at Sirianni, McCarthy, and we'll throw Dayball, even though we already know Washington has a vacancy. Out of those three, how many of them are back next year? Do you think it's only Dayball? Do you think all three of them are back? How many of them?
1: I say say Dayball. I think it's only going to be Dayball. Okay. Now, Sirianni is an interesting one to me because he he could be back. But what I'm going to say about that is I think Philly has to make a decision on him really quickly here. Either they need to say, okay, you're our guy – you're gonna stay, or if they want to fire him, don't don't hesitate. You got to get rid of him quick because we talk about how great the coaching carousel is right now. Those great coaches aren't going to be around forever. So I think if they are going to move on from Sirianni, they should fire him tomorrow and get on that carousel before all the good coaches are gone. Because it would be a shame if they decided to fire him like a week from now and oh, Rabel, Belichick, all those guys are already gone. So now you're. Now you're picking from, you know, the second ring of second-rate coaches. So I do think Dable's back, and I do think they let go of Sirianni, and I think they should do it sooner rather than later.
0: Mm-hmm. Jake, how many I, of them are back? How many will be back? I think Dable and Sirianni are both going to be back. If I was uh-huh. running each of these organizations, I'd keep Dable. I think he's a good coach. If I'm the Eagles GM, I'm firing Sirianni. I would have fired him. Uh, he wouldn't have been on the team playing like, Sorry you you not come back to Philly like you're you're gone because of how uh, look Gene had this fantastic 45 minute rant. Of, he's an Eagles fan and it was beautiful. So go go find a way to watch it. It was amazing. I can't even try and replicate it, but we've never seen a team just fall apart like this. They were 10 and one defending NFC champions, they almost won the Super Bowl. They have the best offensive line in football, one of the best defensive lines of football. You could argue the best skill position if you count running back, tight end, receivers, a top three quarterback, and you finish with 11 wins. And you lose to Seattle with Drew Lock. You lose to the Cardinals. You lose to the Giants. Like it was just a complete and utter failure that we've never seen, and we don't know what's wrong. Like this team should be good. This team should be better with the talent that's there, and it just wasn't. So I would fire him because I felt like the locker room is lost and they just have to have a complete overhaul. But I think Philly's going to give him kind of eight games to get his act together. He's going to start on the hot seat. They're probably going to make him bring in new coordinators to try and freshen things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd fire him. And I think McCarthy's gone. I think you can't go 12 wins every year and not get to the NFC Championship game. You can't look that ill-prepared against a Packers team who, although they're really good, they're the seventh seed. You're the two seed. You have you've been undefeated at home for 16 games, as good as they were. They should have won that game as far as like who's that has a more talent. They just look completely unprepared for the whole moment. And that comes down to coaching. So I think McCarthy's fired. Um, Sirianni should be fired, but I think they bring him back.
2: OK, uh, I, I actually agree with you, Jake. I think uh Daybol stays. I think Sirianni stays and McCarthy has gone. Just because of knowing who Jerry Jones is, at least how we we see him act, I feel like last night was nail in the coffin, he'll be gone. I think Sirianni is getting dangerously close to Brandon Staley, where Staley had that playoff game against the Jags, should have been fired. They kept him and kind of changed the surrounding pieces around him, brought in a really good coordinator who you know once you see that name as higher to the Eagles staff you'll be like oh if Sir, if sirianni doesn't get it together that's clearly the guy who'll replace him so i think that's what philly ends up doing don't know who that coordinator would be but yeah sirianni will definitely be on a short leash next year uh, i want to
0: ask up. real quick about sirianni what does he do that's good as a head coach like if he was fired who's wanting him what does he do that's good I don't I don't see it.
2: I mean it's a good question because looking at how their season ended, all the talk is now, oh, they miss Steichen and Gannon. And I get it, losing both coordinators is tough. But your coach should have, you know, bridged the gap one side of the ball. Like if the offense was, was poor and the defense was great, you could say, okay, they just had to get a new Offense coordinator, Sirianni, is helping out with the defense. But like you said, both sides of the ball tanked. He looked lost, and based off that playoff game where guys weren't even trying in terms of tackling, like that seems like a team quitting on their coach, and now if you're going to bring him back, what kind of message does that send to the team? I, I don't know. It's a weird situation in Philly. And for all we know, they, they might end up firing him tomorrow, which I would completely understand. But that that might have been the wildest game of the weekend, the fact that the Eagles, who are a Super Bowl team, come back and, you know, Baker's throwing, like, quick little flat routes. Guys are running into each other and it's turning into touchdowns. And it's just like, what are we doing? Bradbury's getting torched. Uh even from early in the season, we said the middle of the field's an issue, and it was still an issue last night. Never fixed it. So it's yeah, they, since they started 10 and 1,
0: they've been like the worst team in the league. Like you can't like Carolina and, and the Eagles, so those are like the two worst teams in the league since week well, it's a like week 13. Like the Eagles did nothing good. Their defense was probably the worst, their offense was bad. You can't lose to the Seahawks with the Drew freaking lock. Beat barely beat the Giants and then get your butts handed to you by the Giants and the Cardinals. Like you can't go out that way when you're trying to fight for the one seed. It's just they were like the worst team in the league, second half of the season. And you he should be fired. I just don't think they will. I think they're gonna give him one more year.
2: Yeah. After starting ten and one, they finished one and six down That's the terrible. stretch.
0: And I feel bad for, for Jason Kelsey too. To to go out as great as yeah. a player as he is, to go out that way. And you could see it watching when the game was over and they pulled him and he had to put his helmet back on because he just couldn't deal with all the stuff, man, I'm not an Eagles fan, but like that was heartbreaking to see just as a football fan.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, anytime you see a a really, especially for at at his position, one of the greatest players recent years to see it end that way. Yeah, it's definitely tough. Uh, I guess we'll do one more round of takeaways before moving on to, our picks and stuff. So, what's we'll our Brett. I know Brett did his non-homer one last time. What's the What's the homer takeaway, Brett? Let's hear it.
1: Um, my homer takeaway is the Packers have found their third franchise quarterback in a row.
0: <laughs> okay. I hate it. I, I hate it.
1: <laughs> I think that I know I've seen people kind of worry, like, well, what happens in year two? I think he watches game and he does so many things that. You kind of look, and it'd be like, all right, no matter what defense, just throw at him. He'll be kind of ready for anything. He's missing players. He's been missing players this entire 7-2 run. Week 18 was the first week we had our almost all of our skill position players healthy, and against Dallas, it was the first week that we've had all the skill position players we wanted healthy, and even A.J. Dillon was hurt for that one. I think it's just the little things you do, A. being able to throw at all angles on the run, no matter... The situation, he stays calm in the face of pressure he's thrown. I think it was 11 touchdowns to one interception for over 1,600 yards during this run against the Blitz. Like, it doesn't matter what situation you throw him in, he isn't rattled, and now he goes into AT&T Stadium against an undefeated Cowboys team at home and just completely walks them down. This is the fourth-best defense, man. I I think I think Jordan Love is him, but I – We'll absolutely wait another year to fully make that uh make that judgment because my rule of thumb is I need to see two years.
2: Okay. I mean, I'll have an interesting question about Jordan Love here in a second, but uh, Jake, what's your takeaway?
0: My takeaway is. Look, I'm super happy for Detroit. Um, that was a great moment for them to finally get that win. The, the fans it was a maybe a little bit oversold for how big this was, but I was I'm generally happy for the Detroit Lions. They're on upset alert. I'm not saying I'm going to pick them when we get to the picks, but to have that big of a moment where you beat Matt Stafford, the the crowd was, you know, as Dan Campbell said, was electric. It was so electric. He said it mm-hmm. over and over again. You got to worry about like an emotional hangover, like a legitimate emotional hangover where you finally get this monkey off your back, you get your win, you're riding high, Tuesday, Wednesday comes along for practice and you got to feel a little drained, you got to feel a little tired. I think Tampa Bay's going in there, they have nothing to lose, they have all the confidence in the world, and I think Detroit as much as I like them and want to see them do well, I think they're going to be an upset alert. I think Tampa Bay's in perfect position to to spoil Detroit's chance for the NFC championship game.
2: Okay. The Baker train rolling through Detroit. My takeaway, Dolphins and Eagles. But what was up with the lack of effort from some of these teams? It's the playoffs. Now, look, the, the Dolphins lost that game against the Chiefs well before they actually kicked off. When they lost to the Titans late in the season, and then with everything on the line, knowing full well if they did not beat the Bills and lost the division, they were most most likely gonna go to a cold weather city, and they they no showed that game. Then to show up Kansas City, you know, the Tyreek Hill revenge game, whatever you wanted to call it, that Dolphins team wanted no part of that weather or tackling. And they got the result that they deserved. You know, I don't I, – they're another team that's kind of like the Cowboys now where I don't care how explosive they are in the regular season, I'm, I'm not buying in because they clearly are a team that has to have perfect conditions in the playoffs in order the, for them to have success. And if you really look at it, when would that ever happen? Because it's probably a good it, chance they'd have to either field. roll through – right, they'd have to be the number one seed and have home field all throughout. But even then, I do question like how tough of a team they actually are when it gets down to it in January and if they ever made it February football.
0: So, uh, yeah, Dolphins. Yep. Great takeaway because they they definitely didn't show up and they definitely aren't a, a, a strong team. We've seen that all, all year long. It's kind of been the feeling we've had. But the Cowboys and the Dolphins effort, is nowhere near as bad as the Eagles. Let's just be real here. The that Eagles team implosion wasn't just a one week thing like we saw with Dallas or a couple of week things with, with uh with Miami. This was like a month and that's like a six week implosion that is historical on NFL terms. So let's let's not lump Miami in there. Let's give them a little bit of a break because Philly's implosion was just unbelievable, but yet believable based on what we've seen. I
1: think, no. uh, okay, Brett, yes. Yeah. All I'm going to say is I think the worst contract this offseason is going to be this Tua extension. I think they're going to extend him for superstar money. He's not a superstar. He's a one-read quarterback if you force him off his spot. He doesn't look comfortable improvising off schedule unless he's tucking the ball and running. So I think an offense built around Tua is limited, and I, I think this next contract is really going to handicap the Dolphins.
0: They, they shouldn't give him the big contract. Honestly, heading into the next season, Jordan Love should be getting a bigger contract than Tua based off of what I've seen this year. I'd rather give Jordan Love a big bag than Tua. All
2: right. That's, I mean, that's a good way to end the segment because we'll kind of continue wildcard weekend talk in our next segment, but another quick word
1: from the network. What's up, everybody? It's Catrell Simpson with Wire to Wire Sports Podcast, where we're going to cover all things breaking news, sports related. We're going to preview games and we're also going to give you our reaction to the games that have happened before. You can catch us on Wednesdays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And if you miss us there, no worries. You can also catch us on Roku with Northeast streaming sports productions from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Hey, and listen, if you're not into all sports and just NFL, we have sideline to sideline. That's on Thursday nights from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 8 p.m. We'll break down the NFL week, the Thursday night game, and we'll preview all NFL action. And if you're like me and college football is your fix, tune in every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for Coast to Coast College Football Pre-Game Show. We'll review the previous week's action. The day's biggest games. We'll give you our pickums, And we'll even give you some teams that are on upset alert. And if you don't catch us live, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We do also have a YouTube station, Wire to Wire Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.
2: All right, and we are back, and that's wire to wire. You catch them on the network as well tomorrow night, right before uh two guys in hockey talk. All right, so up here, got Jordan Love, got McCarthy, Dak, got the Lions. So this one's a, a very simple question. Who had, in the terms of a player or team, who had the best weekend, and who had the worst? And we'll start with you,
0: Jake. Of these three, of these three teams that we're seeing, I just use this graphic just in, for
2: just in general, just in general for wild card weekend.
0: Sure, um, you know I'll, I'll circle the guys here. I think it was Jordan Love, from the Packers. They they had a ton of questions about could this be it earlier in the season. I have you know one of my best friends is a Packer fan. There's a lot of doubt about where Jordan Love was the guy, and he is. He I think he's a franchise quarterback. We'll see if he can translate to being like a perennial hall. You know all pro bowler, but I think they had the best weekend. They they showed out. They kicked Dallas in the teeth. They won that game handily, despite what the score said, and I think they had the best weekend. You, you could say Detroit for getting that win, but for me, uh, with what Green Bay did and the statement that it was, the future super bright, and I think they're the biggest winners.
2: Okay. So, who's
0: your loser of Super bowl oh, oh, my loser? Oh, man. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. If I'm going for just this weekend, it's Dallas. For It's just this weekend. It has to be Dallas. I think they had the most embarrassing playoff loss of of the weekend. Again, the final score was nowhere near close to what the actual damage was. They were the two seed. A lot of people had them going to the NFC Championship game at the bare minimum, and they just completely fell on their face. They looked like they... Were just able to get pushed around. They looked out coach. They didn't seem to have their act together. Dak completely fell apart. And this season, like this, this iteration of this t- team feels like it's kind of done. Like this is their ceiling. Like they're going to be a good regular season team and choke in the playoffs, Philadelphia, their loss was awful, but we've seen this train wreck coming. We've seen it coming for two months. Uh, even though I picked Philly to win, a lot of people had Tampa Bay win in this game. A lot of people weren't surprised by the fact that Tampa Bay won. A lot of people were surprised that Dallas lost and lost in the fashion that they did. So they're the big loser for me this weekend.
2: All right. So Brett, biggest winner of wild card weekend and the biggest loser, player or team.
1: You know, Jake already said the Packers, so I already had a second answer in mind for this one. I'm going to say the Houston Texans. I think they're another team that a lot of people had questions. CJ Stroud was going against the number one ranked defense in all of football. I thought it'd be a tough game. I thought they were going to lose in close fashion, but he came out and absolutely shredded that defense. He he's the one that looked like a veteran. He's not the one that threw the two pick sixes. Like he looked like he was calm, composed, and he looked like he was like a 10-year starter in the league. He didn't look like a rookie at all in the moment. Wasn't too big for him. So I think the Packers are a good answer. I'm also going to throw the Texans in there because I think they're in a similar boat, and what they did was phenomenal. Who's
2: Big Big biggest... loser, loser of the weekend?
1: Man, I I I'm trying to I was trying to think of an answer that isn't the Cowboys, but I just don't think there's another answer for that one. <laughs>
0: there's not.
1: Like I was thinking, like maybe maybe the Eagles, but I. I I think the Cowboys just have to be the biggest loser. Like, you were the second seed, you had all the momentum, and you came out looking that flat and just got outplayed in every facet of the game at home? With Mike McCarthy having his job on the line, that's how his team comes out? Nah, the biggest loser has to be Dallas, and I don't think it's all that close either. Okay. Uh,
2: (laughs) Cowboys, the dog agrees. Uh, so for me, I would say biggest winner, I, mean, I agree with you guys, love the, the Packers, the Texans. I'll just say C.J. Stroud had the, had the biggest win of the weekend because he was a guy that I think a lot of people doubted how good he was, but now seeing him playoff setting and how great he did against that number one defense in Cleveland, you know, I, I definitely think going into next season, There's going to be lofty expectations now for him and that Texans team. And it seems like Stroud's going to be a guy who will be able to handle that pressure and continue to produce. So I think Stroud had the the best weekend of anybody. The loser, I would say, kind of because of how it it culminated with, with, you know, this rough stretch, it has to be the Eagles because – for them to go from losing in the Super Bowl to completely quitting in the wild card round the very next season it, it now points to a lot of issues internally whether it's coaching coordinators certain players and then you have the Kelsey retirement so and Kelsey's definitely a leader on that team so now that is going to change as well i think there should be a lot of changes in Philly and if not it might get even a little worse next year. So, uh, for me, the Eagles were the biggest losers of Wild Card weekend. Uh, let's see. Damien says, Packers just got lucky. I don't think Love is that guy. Everyone thinks he is, Love is just having a lucky season. If Love was that guy, he would have uh, – Packers holding the division. Damien, it's tough to please you. So, because they didn't win the division, you just don't like them. I, I get it. I get
1: man,
0: Damien's it. Damien's the hot take king, man. That's, that's what he does. I, yeah.
1: Damien must have now watched a lot of Packer football. It's all right. (laughs) I'll save that.
2: Wait, Damien, who's your team? Because for some reason, I'm thinking it's the Bears, but I can't remember if that was you or not. Because if it is, that might explain a little bit of why you think (laughs) Jordan Love is that way.
1: Jordan Love's already their best franchise. It would be the best Bears quarterback they've ever had. So,
2: (laughs) But uh, I guess while Damien... Types that up. Question for you are surrounding these young quarterbacks. So rank these young quarterbacks right now. Or you can rank them, I guess, going into next season. Okay, so Damien is a Bears fan. I, I knew I remember. <laughs> there we that. go. That makes sense. So, that checks yeah. out. So Jordan Love, CJ Stroud, Tua, and Justin I'm not Justin Fields, uh Jalen Hurts. How would you rank those four?
0: Okay. My number four is Tua. And, and I like Tua. I want him to be successful. But I think of a, we're talking about some legit dudes here. I'm going to put Tua at number four. Man. The thing that, that sucks is this time last year, I was saying Jalen Hurts was a top three quarterback and maybe second best. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I felt like that wasn't a, an overreaction. I felt like him being saying he's a top three quarterback with Mahomes was, was totally logical. Uh, but, and he did have some good moments here. I'm going to uh, man. The thing is, I really love CJ Stroud. I lo- absolutely loved everything I've seen from him. Give me, give me Stroud one hurts two, love three 204 But th- those three quarterbacks, those top three are listed. Those are all three quarterbacks I would absolutely kill to have as a Saints fan. Like I would give up a lot of stuff to have one of those guys in my quarterback because those are all three legit dudes. And, and I think Hurts just I want to put Hurts number one, but it just felt like he just didn't get it done. Like it just despite the numbers, it just didn't look very good. And C.J. Stroud with the weapons that he had that aren't great and a team that was supposed to win like four or five games to mm-hmm. make it the second round of playoffs. I think you have to give him a lot of credit for that. So I'll put him at one. Um, but the only one that's really set in stone is Tua. is third. That, or is fourth, rather. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That, that's the only easy one that's really to put there.
2: All right, so you got Stroud, Hurts, 12, 2. All
0: right. Damien said,
2: biggest loser of the playoffs, Mike. Look, Damien, you you were just... I I hating on Tomlin. You know, he kept the streak alive, got the team to the playoffs. So if you look at that team not the most talented group, and they okay. lost to a hot Bills team. But okay? That's All right, right, Brett.
1: Your coach okay. not even coming close to the playoffs.
2: Right. So, Brett, how are you ranking those four young quarterbacks?
1: Going to follow my rule of thumb here. I'm going to give you two lists how I'm going to rank them right now and how they'll eventually end up rating them because my rule of thumb is always simple. With rookies, I don't mm-hmm. put you at the top until I see at least two years. Because now the second year, you're the guys are going to have film on you. They're going to adjust. So, I want to see how C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love adjust to the guys having a full year of film on them. So, I'm going to go Jalen Hurts 1, C.J. Stroud 2, Jordan Love 3, 2 of 4. Now, how I think it's going to end up eventually, because I think both of those guys are legit, I think it's going to be C.J. Stroud at 1. I think that we're going to... This might be, uh, I think Jalen Hurts is gonna end up at three. I think Jordan Love will end up surpassing him and Tua at four. Now, if you want to switch Tua, to I mean, Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts, that's that's fine, it is what it is. But I think that that's how, how it's going to end up being is Stroud will be the most talented, followed by Jordan Love, then Hurts, then Tua. And the I interesting think that's
0: right. W- yeah, the, the interest, no, you're good. The interesting thing with what Hurts is. His rookie year, he didn't look very great. Then he gets a new offensive coordinator, gets a play caller, everything kind of changes, and then the offensive coordinator leaves. And although his stats are good, the play just seems like it kind of dipped. So I think it really depends on the offensive coordinator for for Jalen Hurts because he, as great as he is, it feels like there are some limitations for him, mainly with decision-making. So I think the offensive coordinator going can play a big role in where he finishes in this ranking.
2: Yeah, I feel like when you look at the four of them, the the biggest sticking point is Hertz and love. Because uh with with Hertz, he's probably been the most successful of the four. But I mean to reference the, the Gene Rant again, uh Hertz seems to have issues reading blitzes. And that is something that you know if he never if he never figures it out. It'll, it'll definitely hamper his growth and how successful he can be in the league. But, I I mean, Mo put in here Stroud, Hurts, Tua, and Love. I mean, I wouldn't put Love fourth. But, once again, it's not the worst list. Uh, I would have it as Stroud, Hurts, Love, and Tua. But it's kind of hard not to put Love ahead of Hurts just because of recent bias and how... Uh, Jalen looked as opposed to Jordan Love but I I do think Hertz is a little bit better than Jordan Love right now and Damian doubling down on this Tomlin stuff Mike Tomlin won a Super Bowl with a crappy team and hasn't done anything since with that season winning streak don't care I mean a lot of those seasons were with teams that probably shouldn't have finished above 500 and somehow he got them there I don't know that's something to say this year
0: included they should not have been a 10 win team
1: Right. So, yeah. so when comparing Hertz and Love, that was the toughest one for me, but the one thing I do like, and you guys kind of alluded to it, is Hertz doesn't seem to react well. The pressure and Jordan Love seems to thrive on it. I already mentioned before, when you blitz – Gene was saying you blitz – was it you blitz, blitz Hertz, and then contain to one side? I think he was blitz him to his left, force him left, and then contain him. It worked really well. I remember hearing Gene talk about that. You blitz Jordan Love – just throwing 11 touchdowns and one interception in the second half of the season against the Blitz. I think Jordan loves a better peer passer of the football in all situations and pressure doesn't phase him. And I think that will bode well for him. And I think he's already more talented than Tua. And I don't really think it's that close either. All
2: right. Good little experiment there. Uh, but yes, we'll get into the picks because – Trust me, they're, they're, they're interesting. I'll leave it <laughs> at that. But uh, another quick word from the break, and we'll, um, another quick word from the network, and we'll be right back after this.
1: Hey, y'all, I'm Keith. And I'm Jory,
2: and tune in to Hoop Dreams and Touchdown Queens every Saturday at 5 p.m. over on Sports Empire Network. And don't forget, also watch us on Roku TV at Northeast Streaming Productions. Uh, so tune in. Ah, the old picks You know Week 18 I go 4-1 and one, Feeling myself I was like, you know what, man, there's a comeback here I go 1-5 and five During Wild card Weekend Because the script was like ah, Can't let you can't, can't let you be too happy But it's all good Because the one I did get right was the Bucks That should count for like 10 But it, neither here nor there I mean, look, some of the games were just infuriating to watch. You know, the Lions winning by one. Line was three and a half, whatever. Steelers made it seem like that they were going to cover up until the fourth quarter. They felt they ran out of steam. Uh, who knew the Dolphins were going to no show the way they did? So whatever. It is what it is. The Cowboys won. I'm happy I got that wrong. I'm not going to lie to you. That one doesn't faze me at all. But when I went 1-5, I'm down to 35, 50, and 1. I mean, I might as well be the Pistons at this point. And Jake went 2-4. You got the Packers and the Chiefs, right? Uh, Browns, Steelers, Lions, and Eagles were wrong. Brett killed it this week going 3-3. You got the Rams, Bills, and the Packers, right? And Eagles, Dolphins, Browns. So we all slipped up on the Browns. And yeah, none of us got every, none of us got the same game correct. Alright. Uh let's see. Mo says Tomlin won in the 2000s. Last time the Bears won, Walter Payton was <laughs> still guy. <laughs> uh I'm sure David probably wasn't around for Walter Payton, so that probably won't even resonate. But um, but yeah. These picks. But luckily or I'm lucky if you're me there's another round of games to pick and let's get into those right now oh of course we start with this one cuz this is the one that I'm ready for got the Texans with CJ Stroud traveling to Baltimore to face MVP Lamar Jackson And that Ravens defense, nine and a half point favorites for the Ravens. So, Jake, how do you see this game going?
0: Man, they are giving Houston no credit, no love, no respect. I I think Baltimore does win this game. I think they're the better team. I I feel like it's going to be really hard for C.J. Stroud to face back-to-back top-level defenses uh, in, in playoff situations. I think Baltimore is a more talented team. Uh, But I think Houston's going to cover. I think this is going to be a surprisingly close game. It's probably going to be a four-point game. Uh, I don't fully trust what Baltimore can do in the playoffs because we've seen them kind of flame out. They also really struggle when it comes to holding leads. Uh, They have, for whatever reason, as good of a running team as they are. They can let teams back into games. Uh, I think Houston covers, but Baltimore wins. All
1: right,
0: Brett, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. They're giving Baltimore a little too much leeway here. I do think they win, but I think it's closer to like a four-point game. So I think the Texans cover, but the Ravens win.
0: Yeah, it should be like a five-and-a-half point spread instead of nine-and-a-half. Right, if it's five-and-a-half,
1: I'd have to think about it harder, but this right. one's easy for me.
2: Okay. I'm agreeing. I'm taking the Texans.
0: I mean, we're all I'm losing this one. I'm taking the
2: Texans to win Outright, oh, they oh, are coming upsetting in the hot. Ravens. I'm taking them because look, the Ravens will have the rest of the bye week. I think this Texans team. I, I feel like that Browns team.
0: Is that me? I don't All know right. what that was coming from, but yeah, I think we're good. Now. I don't hear it anymore.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna say, I am people. Okay, most agreeing Texas for the upset. I think. That Browns game did a lot for the confidence in this team. They're a young group. I think D'Amico Ryan's effect, we're seeing it all over this team. I mean, I did say before the playoffs started between the Browns and the Texans, one of those teams would give the Ravens issues. And I I really think the Texans are equipped to go into Baltimore, contain Lamar Jackson, and I think CJ Stroud can make plays on the defense. Down the field. So came of the Texans to not only cover, but pull the
0: upset. And that's not like you just being a Ravens hater. That's that's you would that your whoa, analytics gap up.
2: Oh that's that's analytical right there. Okay, okay just hey, just seeing, man. There's <laughs> well, Ravens hated it as well, but it's, it's more it's like seventy five percent analytical. Twenty five percent hate. But yeah, give the Texans with the upset.
0: I'd love nothing more for that. I'd be all for it. If it happens i don't even want to like oversell it i will
2: be just smiling ear to ear next week and if they lose well we'll kind of see where that goes but uh next up we got brett's packers traveling to san francisco to face the niners another nine and a half point spread in the niners favor so jake how do you see this one going
0: I, I do think the the sorry, the sorry 49ers win this game. I think this is going to be a pretty ugly game. There's going to be a lot of blitzing, a lot of pressure, but the Packers have a ton of confidence, just like the Texans. These are very two similar matchups that we've seen. I think the Packers cover. I think it's going to be a, a bare minimum of a seven-point game, uh, but the 49ers are probably going to end up winning this game. I think the defense might be a little bit too much for the Packers. They're definitely going to put up a, more of an effort than what the Cowboys did on, on Sunday. But it's gonna be a close game, and I I don't anyone who's sleeping on the Packers in the second round is a fool based off of what we've seen. Uh so Packers cover, but 49ers win.
2: Damien said 49 ers by 30. Okay, Damien. Uh Brett, you you giving your team a chance here.
1: I'll give them a chance. So last week against the Cowboys, I gave the Packers like a forty percent chance to win. And you know, okay, what's they, the, what's the getting...
2: percentage this week?
1: I'm going to give them around the same. I'm going to give them 45. I have a little more confidence in them. Mm -hmm. What I think realistically happens, and i got to turn off my fandom here for this one, I think the Packers cover, but the 49ers pull it out. I think this is a tough game, but the 49ers can do the one thing you can do to rattle love. You have to get pressure with four, because when you start sending extra guys, that's a lot of the time when Jordan Love really starts to cook and pick you apart. So I think it ends up being a close game, but...
2: I do think the 49ers move on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> look, the the 9.5 is definitely throwing me here because if it was like 7.5, I'd probably go with the Niners. 9.5, I just feel, I don't know. So I'll take the Packers as well to cover, but I could see the Niners winning this one like, I don't know, 28 to 20, something like that. Uh, like It's definitely going to be a one-possession game, I think. But I'll, I'll take the the Packers as well, plus the nine and a half. Okay. Next up, uh, we have Baker Mayfield taking his upstart upstart bucks to Detroit, coming off of the emotional win over you know Matt Stafford and the Rams. They're going to Detroit. Detroit six and a half point favorite in this one. Uh, so, Jake, once again, how do you see this game going?
0: This one of the four games is probably the hardest for me to pick because mm-hmm. uh, Detroit, they won, but they won by one point. How much difference is there in quality between the Rams and the Bucks? I don't know, man. Like the Buccaneers, they look, they look pretty good. They are they have a lot of talent on that team. They're coached really well. I, I do think Detroit wins this game, but I'm taking Tampa Bay to cover. That six and a half points scares me pretty good. I think Tampa Bay plays it tough. I think Baker is going to have some big mojo. He's going to have some big energy. He probably makes one turnover or one mistake that costs him the game, but it's still going to be a four-point game. Uh, give me Detroit to win, but Tampa Bay to cover.
1: All right. Brett, do you agree? All right. First off, Mo, I think I stayed in I picked your team to win, Mo. How much more in reality do you want me to stay for that? Um, for uh, – Tampa uh, for this game I I'm not even going to think twice about it. I think Tampa covers. I think this is going to be like a field goal game. I do think Detroit moves on. But I think this game is going to be a lot of fun and this could be the best game of the weekend.
2: I can agree with that. I I do think this one is could be the the best game of the weekend. Uh I don't know. This one I'm going back and forth on. I have been heavy on the Bucks, you know, wagon for the past couple of weeks.
0: Don't fall off, man. Don't fall off the wagon. You've been the one leading it.
2: Uh, I mean, that's true. Issue is, I, I did. I kind of had the. I think I had the Lions making the NFC Championship game based off of the ESPN bracket challenge. So do I go against that? You no, know it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go with the Bucks. I, you know, you gotta give Baker Mayfield at least one more. I think the Bucks could pull off the upset as well, outright. So I'll take the Bucks plus the six and a half because, like I said, the the Bucks are going to play for Baker. Hopefully, Mike Evans doesn't drop any deep balls because got to capitalize on those. And the lines, I think, yes, they'll they'll probably start off slow because of the Rams game, and that might be the Bucks' opportunity. That hangover to, is going to get be a real. Jump. Yeah, but I think if the lines can hang in it by halftime, they might be fine as long as the Bucks don't get out to like a two-possession lead. So the start of the game is going to be uh, important for the Bucks if they want to pull the upset. And now the final game. Now this one, I mean, Chiefs, Bills, so what do you need to say about it? It goes back to the playoff game a couple of years ago, where Bills looked like they are going to win it, but apparently what was like 15-16 seconds was Too much time for Patrick Mahomes. The defense completely uh, bottled it. So can the Bills get revenge on the Chiefs, punch their ticket to the AFC title game? The Bills are a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. We know the Chiefs have struggled all season. So, uh, Jake, how do you see this one going?
0: I think this is the only game where I'm going to be taking the favorite. I think Buffalo is going to win this game, and I think they win by four points. It's going to be a three- or four-point game. It's going to be close. I just have a really hard time trusting in this Kansas City team, trusting in the receivers. Uh, the defense has been really good, but I feel like Josh Allen's really hitting his mojo. He played a good defense, albeit without TJ Watt. And the Steelers, and he looked really good. I just feel like this is an off year for the Chiefs, and this is Buffalo's big time to shine. So give me Buffalo to win. It's probably going to be 27-21, 27-23, something along those lines. But yeah, give me give me Buffalo to to win and cover.
1: All right. Brett, do you agree? I'll take Buffalo, and I think they win by 10. I think this is going to be a game where it's a three-point game throughout, but then the Bills pull away with a last-minute touchdown, and everybody thinks that Mahomes is going to answer, except the reality is he can't because he doesn't have the receivers to answer. He doesn't have Tyree killed. Uh, All of a sudden, just give him 30 yards out of nowhere. Travis Kelsey's not only regressing, but he is pretty much getting double-covered every play forcing the receivers to make plays. And I think that continues this weekend and
2: it costs them. They lose by 10. I, I gotta agree. I like the bills in this one. I, we actually agree on every game, which means oh man, that, we're going to go
0: over six or whatever it is. <laughs> hey,
2: as long as I drag you guys down with me, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I just think, you know, the, the situations are a little bit different than they were a couple of years ago. You know, Chiefs, like you said, they're not as invincible as they, as they were. And for the Bills, I feel like the Bills see the landscape of the AFC this season and feel like this is their year to take advantage and, and get to a Super Bowl appearance. Because I do think that's something Josh Allen needs on his resume. He, he needs a title, an uh, AFC title game first, obviously. And he needs a Super Bowl appearance. The key for him is going to be... None of the little fadeaway lobs into the middle of the end zone or the middle of the field. Stay away from those, and and he'll be fine. Because the Chiefs' defense, you know, can be opportunistic. So there's going to be opportunities where Josh Allen's going to just have to take what the defense gives him and live to fight another day. And he has to be mentally, like, tough enough to do that. So if he does that, I think the Bills win – Kind of like Brett, I could see like 8 to 10. If he turns the ball over, then this game becomes a lot closer than probably Bills fans would like. And maybe some fans get another extra $20 an hour. Maybe it snows again. I don't know what the forecast looks like. But, yeah, give me the Bills. And that's all I have. So, um, I mean, does anything you guys want to bring up here in the last few moments or anybody in the chat. If you have any questions, feel free to let them go now. But, uh, Brett, I'll go with you. Got any final words?
1: Yeah, all I'm going to say is about the Packer game this Saturday, win or lose, I'm still going to be very happy of what we accomplished. I think the Packer's already over it, So, especially if we go in, and even if we lose by, let's say, a touchdown or we keep it really close and we barely lose it, I'll be ecstatic. Obviously, I'm going to be cheering for a win, go Pack, go Mm -hmm. all the way. But win or lose, as long as everybody doesn't look like a complete dumpster fire like, I'm going to be happy regardless of the outcome this Saturday.
0: All right. Jake? Oh, you're muted. Thanks for that. I don't have a whole lot else to say. It was a great weekend of football. I guess I'll just leave it with this. Like, which team are you more disappointed in for, for the whole season, Dallas or Philly? Not just for the weekend, for the whole season, Dallas or Philly? We're the last spontaneous question for both of you guys.
2: I'd say Philly. Because I already knew what Dallas was, an overachieving regular season team that can't cut in the playoffs. I really thought, start of the season, the Eagles were going to be at worst back in the NFC title game.
1: Yeah, I, I think for the full season, it's easily Philly. Because like, I don't think anybody expected that collapse out of nowhere. Like I said, if you what the question was for this weekend, Dallas, because that that collapse just really came out of nowhere. But mm-hmm. for the full season, man, I I just don't know what happened. That team just folded down the stretch. We haven't seen that since the twenty seventeen Steelers did it.
0: <laughs> but even the twenty seventeen Steelers, we knew were frauds. Like we we knew, yeah. like they weren't as great as we were as. Yeah, for me it's the Steelers or sorry, it's the Eagles as well. I thought they were going to go back to the Super Bowl. I thought they had immense talent on both sides of the ball and for them to fall apart like this is historic and again, if I'm running the Eagles, Sirianni's fired already, but I think he sticks around. But yeah, Eagles, that disappointment, that's a that's a top tier like top 3 all-time uh, collapses we've seen in NFL history.
2: Yeah. I mean, my final word would be uh everybody Tune in for and one coming up after the big three and go Gerard Mayo. I got to see the staff that he puts together for the Patriots because for the first time in a while, I'm definitely intrigued with the direction of the Patriots. You know, no Bill Belichick. So I want to see who he brings in as the offensive coordinator, who becomes his defensive coordinator. And does this mean since the quarterback is the biggest need, we're just going to take one at number three? I don't know how to feel anymore. So that's all I got. But, Brett, go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, no, one last thing real quick, just a little schedule change. We're, uh, we're actually moving and one to Thursdays now because that's following cool. this will be a uh, line in the sand. So if you're a pro wrestling fan, stay tuned. And if you really love and one, yeah, you can check us out on Thursday. That will be after uh, Sideline to Sideline. All right.
2: I mean, Damien threw out a wrestling reference earlier in the, in the show. So Damien, you got to stay
0: tuned for Line in the Sand. It was fantastic. I loved it. Loved every bit yeah. of it. Yeah.
2: So we're, we're we're into what Royal Rumble season. So yep. I'm, I'm sure you guys will have a lot to talk about online. The sand can't wait for it. But yeah, So make sure and one's Thursday after sideline to sideline. And we'll have faces loaded on Thursday. So action packed Thursday. But appreciate all of you in the chat. Damien, Mo, even though Damien, you're getting reckless with that Tomlin talk. Uh, Mo, <laughs> Jory, everybody else, appreciate all of you. Make sure you're back here next week for another episode of The Big Three. So for myself, uh, Brett Garda3, Jake, enjoy the rest of your night, and we'll see you next week. Bye.